right, well, let's jump in here into this text. Jesus gives a command, and then what we're going to see is not just the command, but two pricks or prods or goads to follow this command. The command, enter, and then the two pricks or prods come from those words for reasons why we should enter. Um, Before we get there, I'll start on a a lighter note. Um, Before Hannah went to college, uh, she and I, she she wanted to do this. Uh, She wanted to hike up Mount Marcy. All right, so here's our map. And what I found out is you need a map to do this, and I am not very good with maps. Uh, So here it is. This is the Adirondacks. How many of you have been to the Adirondacks? Anybody? Okay, it's not too far up the road. This is the largest state park in the U.S., in the lower 48, the largest state park. It's like thousands of thousands of acres. Um, Anyway, so we did a few of those acres, and what we found is getting up Mount Marcy was very difficult, more difficult than I thought. Uh, It was about mile nine that I realized I'm in over my head as we keep going up uh, with these huge backpacks on. Hannah's so sweet. She just kept going. I just miss her. Anyway, uh, we're getting up there. What we realized as we're going up, uh, someone told us, you can't go this pathway. So I'm looking at this map, and, and there's all these different ways to get up Mount Marcy and hiking boots. So he's like, you can't go that way. There's no way you can go that way. So we're like, okay, we'll go around this way. So we went around this way, got to the top. As we were coming back, we recognized we couldn't go back that way because the other trail was flooded. And, and so we found another way that added three miles. Um, short night's sleep, started headed back that way, started raining. And just as we start in the beginning of the day, uh, I'm hungry. Uh, we're running out of water. And, and this guy meets us and he says, you can't go that way. He's like, that's just, it's, it's horrendous. It's the worst conditions. It's cliffs. You're going up and down. I couldn't do it myself hardly. He had just come from there. So you got to turn around or you add another day to your trip. So that was, we were like, oh boy. But we had no other way. We had to go that way. And we found out it was like the best part of the hike. This dude had never hiked before. <laughs> uh, it was so nice. It was great. He's probably still finding his way out. Um, but we were, we were happy to have direction from people. But we recognized this was difficult and we needed some really special direction from people. We had some people that came from a whole different route. They had, this was their 40th mountain or something. They gave us great advice, great advice. We needed a, a more sure word of prophecy that helped us find our way to the top. It is so great that as we try to find our way to God, we have an infallible, trustworthy map that will never change that shows all the pitfalls all along the way. How, right, where where would we find our way? Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Lord uses this illustration often in the Bible. God's word is that way. And I don't know if you've read the Christian classic, The Pilgrim's Progress. This is the book I've read more than any other book, I, I read it. I was trying to read it through once a year. It's so good. It's an allegory that, that talks about this, this idea of finding your way to God. And it's Christian. This is written by John Bunyan, talking about a man named Christian finding his way to the celestial city. 
He begins the story with a backpack weighted down. And he's burdened to get rid of it. He feels like his city is the city of destruction. He describes this, John Bunyan, in his dream. I saw upon a time when he was walking in the fields that he was reading in his book, greatly distressed in his mind. And as he read, he burst out and said, what must I do to be saved? He looked this way and that way as he would run, but he stood still because he did not know the way. I looked and saw a man named Evangelist coming to him and said, Why are you crying? Sir, I perceive by this book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that, the judgment. I'm not willing to do the first, and I'm not able to do the second. Why not willing to die? Because I fear that this burden upon my back will sink me lower than a grave to hell. Sir, I'm not fit to go to prison not fit to go to the judgment. These things make me cry. If this be thy condition, why are you standing still? Because I don't know where to go. And he gave him a roll of parchment, and it said, flee from the wrath to come. The man therefore read it, looking evangelist carefully, said, where should I go? Where should I run? Do you see the wicket gate? Yonder wicket gate. Small gate. The man said, No. Do you see the yonder light? He said, I think so. Keep that light in your eye and go directly there. And from there you will see the gate. So I saw in my dream the man began to run. As he ran, his wife and children perceiving him began to cry him to return, return, return. But the man continued to run on, run on, crying, life, life, eternal life. A couple chapters later. Now I saw in my dream Christian walking briskly up a highway fenced on both sides with a high wall. Oh, this is the narrow way is covered. This is the the narrow way he's talking about. Both sides of the high wall he began to run, though he could not run fast because of the load on his back. On the top of the hill he came to a cross. Just as he came to the cross, his burden came loose, dropped from his shoulders, went tumbling down the hill, fell into an open grave, and I saw it no more. And the rest of the story shares how he continues on this pathway. Beautiful, beautiful story. But this is what Jesus is talking about. This better way, as he concludes his sermon, teaching the broad way and the narrow way. And the narrow way is the better way. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not going to take time to review, but we found the better blessing, the better law, the better livelihood, the better community now, the better way as he appeals to us. Enter. Go the better way. Entering the better way gives uh, the better gate or the story of two gates. Leading others on the better way gives the story of two trees. And then ending on the better way is the story of two foundations. So Jesus ends with three illustrations, pictures, that teaches that his is the better way. Really calling us to follow, calling us to follow him. Jesus has not been teaching as clearly about his death, burial, and resurrection, has he, at this point. Now as Matthew writes it, the whole book is recording this, because this is uh, actually during the time where Paul is writing his epistles, is when Matthew is giving this gospel to the church. But as you follow the story of Matthew, it ends with this call to make disciples. This is where it's beginning that Jesus is carrying 
calling out for disciples to follow him. And so you have the projection of follow Jesus, follow Jesus. Jesus is saying, follow me. This is the narrow way, the way where the heart needs to be changed. As we continue to follow him, we learn about his death, burial, and resurrection. So these folks who are listening are having to figure out, am I going to follow Jesus that ends with this gospel? Or am I going to follow my own works righteousness, as we will see? And so we're going to encourage you, I'm going to encourage you to follow Jesus today. Uh, If you're following him, I trust you'll be ready to follow him even more and encourage others to enter as well. Let's look at the one command here. The one command, this natural picture, enter through the narrow gate. That's what Jesus commands. The command is not to run away. The command is not to wait till you're ready. The command is to enter, and I would appeal for you to enter today. Um, The challenge is difficult, as we will see. It's not easy believism, but it is a challenge to enter. It's not wait, it's now is the day of salvation. So enter today. Enter through a narrow gate. An open road, narrow. You can't carry a whole lot with you. I think of a New York City turnstile. Uh, you, you, it's just for you. Right? You're not taking a whole lot. It's just you. There's, you can't bring a whole lot of baggage there. It's for you. Remember we were first here a, a couple it was a mother and daughter that started coming to our church, very new to New York City, and, and they were like, this is great, we can both fit in together through the turnstile. Right? And so the, their mind was just, as many as you can fit in there, it's okay. Right? And they found out later, no, you can, you're supposed to pay for, for each individual. Right? These are made for one person to go through at a time. It's narrow. Uh, it's, it's hard. It's narrow. And this is the idea. This, there's this narrow turnstile that goes to heaven. Well, what is he talking about then? Let's give the spiritual application to this. He's not just talking about a metaphysical gate. He's really giving us a picture of a spiritual truth. The entering of this narrow gate is to believe, to follow. He's calling us. Jesus is like, here I go. Follow me. Follow me. Come with me. Come with me. Follow his teaching. That's where he's going to end as he finishes the sermon as a clear foundation. I will say this, um, enter is a great picture. It's not earn your way to God. It's just enter. It's these, the Bible uses these illustrations. Look and live. Open your eyes and look. Just enter. It's not like you've got to do a grueling marathon to get there. You just, no, you just enter it. It's right there. It's narrow. It's difficult. As you go through, you will see that it's not the easy way. We'll get to that. It's a hard way. But getting there, getting in is just entering. And it's just entering. And, and so it's very clear here that, that we're not taking notes. I would encourage you to write this down. This is him teaching this in a different setting in Luke. Someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few people who are what? being saved so as he's talking about this entering the gate he's talking about salvation saved from what saved from wrath saved from the wrath of god that is upon humanity because of our disbelief our lawlessness lawless things like yeah atheism but lawless things like disobedient to parents things that we've all broken he's saying this 
is salvation. Strive to enter through the narrow door. I tell you, not for many, I tell you, will seek to enter, will not be able to. Right? There's this narrow way. Jesus says it more clearly here in John 14, 6, doesn't he? Uh, they're like, Lord, where are you going? We keep following you. The disciples continue to obey him, to continue to follow him, even during his difficult messages. But, but then he's leaving, and they say, well, how do we get to the Father, Jesus? Jesus says, I am, ego eimi, uh, this Jehovah. I am what? The way, the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except this narrow. That's why it's narrow. This is the narrowness of this gate. There's not seven doors and you pick one. One door. It's narrow. It's for you. You choose to go through or not. And he appeals to you to enter. And it's him. He is the way. His message, his death on the cross is for you. He died to pay for that condemnation. And so you trust that is true. You believe and you follow him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So it's narrow in that it's only one. The world doesn't necessarily like this view. right? They try to illustrate other ways to God. And one of the unbiblical ones is the idea that there's many ways to the top of a mountain, like we were sharing earlier. Are there many ways to God? And there's the Buddhist way, and there's the... Muslim way, and there's the Christian way, and there's the, right, all these different ways, and God's just a little different with each one. What does Jesus say about that? It's unbiblical. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus says, I am the way. We know this has to be the case. Because we're talking about different ways, we have to recognize that many of these worldviews, religious systems, and even the secular way, say things totally opposite to what Jesus says. Jesus is the way to God. He's the one who has, he's not at the top of the mountain, he's in heaven. And he's found his way to bridge down to us, to make us come to him through the cross. But if you have someone who says, Judas died on the cross... And you say, Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sin. Those are two opposite statements. They're not going the same way. They're going opposite ways. And so I think we use the illustration of traffic, right? If we all thought, well, whatever way is good to you is good, we would really have a problem on our highways. You know what? I thought east was this way. And I got on 95 east, and it's okay. Like, you guys just have a different way of truth than I do. You're going to die. Right? That's on a physical level we believe that. Same on the spiritual level. Two opposing ideas going different ways cannot both be true. One is correct, one is incorrect. This is the nature of truth. Another illustration that's often used that is unbiblical um, is the idea that, and you've heard the poem probably uh, that's talked about several blind people who are uh, looking at an elephant with their hands and trying to describe it, right? Uh, and one says an elephant is like a wall. One says an elephant is like a trunk because he's feeling the leg. It's like a wall because he's feeling the side. It's like a snake because he's feeling the tail. 
Hence the idea is that, you know, once you get all of these together, all these worldviews together, maybe you come up with the truth. All right, well, that's, that's cute, um, but, but it's another unbiblical conclusion because Jesus doesn't say that God is an elephant. He tells us clearly who God is. He de- de- declares who God is through his life. And it's up to us to, to accept it or not. Not to piecemeal a God in our own liking. But you take it or leave it. I like Tim Keller on this. He wrote a book, The Reason for God, and does a good job explaining this to New Yorkers. I think Queens is different than Manhattan, right? We're, we, we, I, I love Queens, but, but we do have skeptics here. Um, skeptics believe, he says, that any exclusive claims to be a superior knowledge of spiritual reality cannot be true. Right? So this is what skeptics would say. What I'm saying today, what Jesus says, cannot be true. But this objection is itself a religious belief, right? It assumes that God is unknowable, or that God is loving but not wrathful, or that God is an impersonal force rather than a person who speaks in Scripture. All of these are unprovable faith assumptions. In addition, their proponents believe that they have a superior way of viewing things. They believe the world would be a better place if everyone dropped this traditional religious view and and adopt their religious view of non-religious views. Therefore, their view is also an exclusive claim about the nature of spiritual reality. If all such views are to be discouraged, then their own view should be discouraged as well. That's great. That's a great way to deal with this. And really, you're left with the question of authority. Whose view are you going to believe? Are you going to believe popular opinion Is that what you're going to believe? Are you going to believe Oprah? Are you going to believe this religious set of books? Right? I mean, we just go to all different types of authority. Are you going to believe your 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 right college uh, worldview class philosophy book? Right? Are you going to believe that? I mean, people take all of these things as, or are you going to believe the Bible? You have to decide. And this is what Jesus says in the Bible. I'm going to go down this rabbit trail. I do believe the Bible gives clear, objective proof that it is the Word of God. And we don't stand on shaky ground when we accept what Jesus says here as the Word of God and truth. When he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. This is what Jesus is saying. You have to believe it or not. Right here, you're left with two decisions. The narrow way, Jesus is that way, or the broad way, any other view. Two categories. Now, what do we do with that? This is what pricks us. This is what prods us. This is what, why you have to answer this question before you leave today. Four. Enter four. And he's going to give us two fours. Two prods in our conscience forward. Okay, you're, you're given this information, but you've got to do something with it. For, because, we have two prods, they're contrasting. Right? One talks about the narrow way, and one talks about Broadway. I'm glad Broadway's back open. Right? Uh, but but th- this is interesting, how we take Broadway um, and pop culture. 
But this is what Jesus started it. There's this broad way and there's this narrow way. So let's jump into the, first of all, the contrasting prod on the broad way. Why should I enter through the narrow gate? Here, why? Because if you go down that broad way, this is what it's like. He's going to give us the nature of the broad way. What is the nature of it? It's very popular. And he's going to tell you this up front. Yeah, that broad way, there's a lot of people going that way. In fact, everybody's going that way by birth. The broad way is any other way but Jesus, and that's the way we're born, going this broad way. By nature, it's very popular. Broadway is very popular. Going with the crowd, don't make a fuss, just go with the flow. It's the river going downstream. It's so easy. You don't have to make a fuss. You don't have to say anything that people disagree with. You can be friendly. Not spiritually friendly. You just float with ease. It's not a tight fit. It's not difficult. It takes the popular polls. This is why I hate polls. Who cares what the Broadway said? Who cares what's popular in one sense? It was the popular crowd that chanted crucify him. It was the popular crowd that took up stones to brutally kill our first deacon in the church, Stephen. The populace is often drawn to error, just in world history, not just in looking at the church. The populace often is deceived. In fact, we know it is because it's under a state of spiritual blindness. If you're taking notes, look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. Paul describes where we are all born in this populace. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. There's just this course, and we're just walking it. We're just walking it. We're all born walking this course. It's according to the prince of the power of the air. It has a a drill sergeant in the front. And he's tapping his drum. He's tapping his drum. And everybody's lockstep, blind, walking this course. And it's the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. This is all of us. No exception. Among them, we too all formerly lived. Paul, you were very religious, very religious Jewish person walking according to the course of Satan as a very religious Jewish person. This is why Jesus is saying his way is narrow. It's Jesus. It's not all these religious systems. It's not Baptist. It's not Catholic. It's not Islam. It's Jesus is the way. And as we do this, we go according to the lusts. And your desires might be to be very religious. Your desires might be very ascetic. Your desires might be to be indulging in, in whatever comes to your mind. And sometimes people go back and forth. But by nature, because they're in that place, they're children of wrath, even as the rest. And so this is the Broadway. This is the crowd that continues to go along. This is pop culture. Let me just say, this is pop culture. You just see it. You hear the messages of the plays, of the songs. Right? I like some of the music. I'm not saying it's all, oh, like you can't uh, like brownies, right? This is, there's this, this pop culture, and some of it's beautiful, but it all wants to get your mind off God. In fact, this is what Satan does. You find this in Acts. As Paul comes to Derby. He preaches, and the people want to worship him. That was Satan. 
causing people to receive the message so much that they want to offer sacrifices to Paul. Two verses later, what do they want to do? Kill him. Stone him. This is pop culture. They either want to worship you or kill you. But it's both satanic. And overwhelming religious zeal in a culture can be Satan. Blinding people from the way, the truth, and the life, which is Jesus. I'm reading now a book to our kiddos. I want to go into this. But this culture was embedded in witchcraft, violence, and wickedness. John Payton came, preached the gospel to that pop culture, and every page he's about dead. This happens all throughout history. This is the norm. As you speak the truth of Christ, often culture hates that to the way that it wants to crucify you as it crucified Jesus. All throughout the centuries, I, I, John uh, Fox's, Fox's Books of Martyrs is a great testimony to this. Um, he shares... Many of these. In fact, let me just read one. This is, this is the eighth, already the eighth popular persecution on the church by A.D. 257. The eighth huge one from the Roman Empire. They're saying, recant or die. Deny Christ publicly or you can live. This is what they're given. You have to follow the narrow way. Choose Christ. Or the broad way. Don't make any waves. Right? Just believe in the emperor, emperor of Rome and you're okay. Rufina, Secunda were two beautiful and accomplished ladies, daughters of Astrius, a gentleman in eminence in Rome. Rufina, the elder, was designed to marry this other man, a young nobleman. Secunda, the younger daughter, this other man, a person of rank. The suitors at the time of the persecution's beginning this is the eighth persecution in Rome, where both Christians, when danger appeared to save their fortunes, renounced their faith, their fiancés. We're not doing that. The ladies chose Christ. They took great pains to persuade the ladies to, to follow them, but they followed Christ. The lovers were base enough to inform against the ladies, turned them in being apprehended as Christians, were brought before the governor and sealed their martyrdom with their blood. Those ladies continue to live forever because they follow Christ. I need to keep moving here. There, there is a broad way, and often it's, it's just, just, even if it's just don't look at Christ, don't think about Christ, just, Busy yourself with your job. Busy yourself with your family. Don't think about the end. Don't think about life after death. Just, just think about this here and now. That's the, that's the broad way. And this is the dangerous part of this. This is the broad way that does what? What is the end of the broad way? Destruction. And this is why I say this is the greatest humanitarian crisis in our day. Because it's broad. Many are going this way. And Jesus teaches very clearly that this is an eternal destruction. Luke 16, he tells an account of Lazarus. Now there was a rich man and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. That sounds nice. That sounds like a broad way. And a poor man named Lazarus who was laid at his gate covered with sores, longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried to Abraham's bosom. 
where Abraham is, the home of the saints, the rich man also died and was buried. In hell he lifted up his eyes, being tormented. Saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in agony of this flame. Jesus, this is Jesus' teaching. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, likewise Lazarus' bad things. But now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you there is a great chasm fixed. There's no way to go back and forth. Death separates. No way to go back and forth. Separated from God, we recognize, is the greatest sorrow of hell. And he said, I beg you then, send someone to my house. I have five brothers that you would warn them that they would not come to this place of torment. Abraham said, they have the Bible. If they don't listen to the Bible, they're not going to listen to me. They won't even listen to someone who's risen from the dead. This is Jesus' teaching, right? And they don't, because Jesus rises from the dead. And people still, still do not believe this message. They're doing this to eternal destruction, it says. That's what the text says. That's not where we need to leave this. We need to end with the good news. There is this gate This small and narrow way, and this is what Christian was crying out for, the burden on his back, the weight of his conscience because of his sin and his lawlessness had driven him to seek, and God found him. The nature of the narrow way is that it's few, small, in that sense hard. It's filled with hardship along the way. Jesus is promising you that this is a physically hard road. It's not where many people are going. It's not your best life now in one sense. It is your best life now because it's life with God. But it's not promising you health and wealth. It's promising you a cross. Take up your cross and follow me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. If you're just seeking to hold on to your life, comfort, and you lose it. You've lost your life. But if you give up your life, you take up your cross and say, Lord Jesus, I die to myself, to any of my desires, I trust in you. You have eternal life. You've actually found spiritual life that is eternal. And so, coming through that narrow gate, we have to leave worldliness We have to leave a life that is before us, the old man. We have to leave that there and say, Lord, all of it I give up. It's okay. I don't want it anymore. I want you. This is the life that Jesus is calling us to. We follow him. We don't get a crown. We get a cross. We don't get a cheering squad. We often get a firing squad. Jesus says, take up your cross, a cruel implement of torture. A lot of people, um, you know, when you hear this all the time, these promotions. In fact, we're giving out a $100 gift card if people uh, get, the, get the paintings right down there at our booth. Right? Cell phone companies do, could do this. Switch, switch here, you get two free phones or $5,000 off if you buy our car. Um, these promotions. Jesus didn't stoop there. 
Like, listen, this is it. You've got to count the cost. Are you ready to leave all and follow me? Are you ready to take the narrow way? If you're not, then you're not ready to enter. And so count the cost. You can't hold on to your sin and Christ. You have to give it all up. This is repentance. It's not saying you have to stop sinning. It doesn't say you have to earn your way by stopping sinning. This is, this is the mindset. Repentance is the mind. The mind that says, no longer do I want my sin. I want Jesus and I follow him. And all of that I put on the cross. And so right now you can do that and you will have life. You will have eternal life. Leads The narrow way leads to this eternal life. Where you will never be cast out. Abundant life. Walking with God. Knowing that he loves you. This is the true life. What you were made to do. How you can thrive. And yes, rest in him for all your earthly needs. Right? But that's not why we come to him. We come to him because he is the truth and he demands us to do so. He commands you now to enter. If you are not entering his way of salvation, you are an aff- affronting God to his face. His son died in your place and you're saying, I don't need it. I want to earn my own way. Or I don't need it. I want to continue in my sin. Those are your two things. And so I appeal to you today to enter. Believe. Embrace this is true for you. This is Jesus' message. I just, I appeal to you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God through Christ. He died for this. John Bunyan who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, has a similar story. His father brought him up as a tradesman, hard work. Bunyan was an atheist at heart. The thing that gave him notoriety in his youth was his zeal, enthusiasm for mischief. Made him a leading young man there. He said the only restraining influence in his life was a terror of judgment. But that, that mindset left as he got older. He became more hardened, past feeling. Married at an early age. This is according to Tales of Grace. Married at an early age to a godly lady. She had two small books that she wanted to read. The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven and The Practice of Piety. As he read these two things, he was convicted And he tried to start earning his way to God. Still the wrong way. Because it's not Christ. He attended church twice a day regularly. Read the prayer book and sang with the congregation. Became very superstitious with all the trappings of the church of the day. One Lord's Day, however, in the middle of the usual afternoon diversion, a voice, as it was from heaven, seemed to say, will you leave your sin and go to heaven or have your sin and go to hell? He said his arm, which was about to strike a ball, was arrested and looking up to heaven, it seemed as if the Lord Jesus was looking down upon him in deep displeasure. Conviction flashed across him that he was sinning and he had to repent or it might be too late. He thought to himself this, my state. So he goes from extreme piety. And then he says, this is not good enough. My state is surely miserable. Miserable if I leave my sin 
miserable if I follow my sin. If I can only be damned, and I must be so, I may as well be damned for as many sins as possible. And so he gave himself over to sin. Convinced that repentance was impossible. For a month or more, he went on resolute in singing, only begrudging that he couldn't sin more. One day he's standing at a neighbor's window, cursing and swearing, playing the madman in this manner. And a woman in town, who was a very ungodly woman, called him out. He was silenced in a moment. He blushed before the God of heaven, and he stood there hanging his head, wishing with all his heart that he could repent. But his legalism wouldn't get him anywhere. I did set the commandments before me as my way to heaven, which commandments I did strive to keep. And as I thought, I did keep them pretty well. Sometimes I knew it wasn't perfect. I would break one and my conscience was afflicted. One day he happened upon ladies talking in a doorway. And he listened to their talk and they were speaking of a new birth. The work of God's spirit in their soul. Their personal experience of the saving power of God through Jesus Christ. And he stood amazed that he did not know that in his own heart. He started longing for that feeling, for that salvation, that forgiveness of sins. But long years of despondency until he happened on a commentary by Luther from the book of Galatians. And he started to open his eyes to this glorious truth that the gospel is by Jesus alone. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. I saw, moreover, there was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better than my bad frame. My righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This filled his heart with the greatest joy. He said his happiness was now as intense as his misery had been. He wished... He was 80 years old so that he could die quickly and come right to heaven. This is the difference. This is the narrow way. I think a good illustration where people are, they're either giving themselves over to sin or giving themselves over to self-righteousness. Both of those are the broad way that leads to destruction. The narrow way is right here. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you embrace it? Do you believe it? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let's... Ask the Lord for that. Right. I don't know where you are today. You may be very religious, very pious. You may have spent many years in church. That does not save you. Jesus saves you. And so let me encourage you today. Jesus died on the cross to save you from your sin, the penalty of the sinful ways. Have you asked him for forgiveness? You either receive this message or you reject it today. There's no middle ground. Jesus says, I am the way. Are you going to enter the way right now? How would you do that? He says, call upon the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. There is this this entering. There's this time where you you call. It's not not giving to a church. It's not joining a church. It's not becoming, uh, signing a paper. It's a transaction between you and Jesus where you decide to receive this message and say, I believe. And so Jesus is listening to your heart right now and he wants to hear that. 
He wants to hear you say, I enter. Lord, I enter the narrow way that you have made because of your death, burial, and resurrection. So Jesus is appealing to us. He's preaching, saying there's no way to make yourself right. You may have never murdered someone, but it's a sin to hate. You may have never committed adultery, but it's a sin to lust. He's been preaching this and preaching this. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as he appeals to you, what will you do? You could say something like this. In the Bible, Jesus taught about one man that said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And he was saved. Just that. Jesus hears you. Be merciful. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me salvation. And he hears that. He'll save you. You'll be entering. Or you can frame a prayer in your own heart and say, Lord, I believe that I've broken your law. I believe Jesus died to pay the penalty for that broken law. Please forgive me for all my past sins, all my future sins. Please wipe them out. I follow you now. Lord Jesus, I can't do it myself. I follow you now. I enter your narrow way. Come what may, I enter your narrow way. If you'll turn to him that way, he will save you right now. I just want to appeal to you to do that. I'll be standing in the back lobby and happy to pray with you. But perhaps we as Christians should think about this as the greatest humanitarian crisis. This is the broad way. Right? Have you shared this with someone? If you believe this, do you live that way where this is important to you? Right? Our, our jobs are but opportunities to Manifest God's glory in sharing this with others. So let's, let's ask the Lord for grace to be, to be missionaries wherever God places us. Here in Queens, where you work maybe in Long Island or wherever you work online. Lord, help me to bring others to you as a minister of this way, we pray. All right, so let's pray. Heads bowed and eyes closed in a moment. We'll close in prayer. If you'd like to pray with me, I'll be in the back lobby. Let's all do business with the Lord.